Hello and welcome to Philly Sports Now, a Philly fan podcast. I'm Nick, joined with you today by Andrew, and we are going to break down all things happening Philadelphia sports in the last week, and there's a lot to get to. For starters, the Flyers head up, the Flyers uh, get swept by Boston, the Sixers sweep Boston, and the e- Philadelphia Eagles have finally, finally decided on their new head coach f- for the upcoming 2021 season. Let's get into it. Let's talk about it. Not a lot of Phillies, but we'll get into that too. Some still JT Real Muto stuff uh, hanging out up there in the air. Will he sign? Is he going elsewhere? I'm sure Andrew has opinions on that. Uh, so so we'll get to that uh, uh, as well. But let's, let's start with the biggest news of the week, and that's obviously the Philadelphia Eagles hire Nick Sirianni, former offensive coordinator of the Indianapolis Colts. Wow. I don't think... Anyone predi- uh, predicted this to happen? I don't. I don't think he was even in the the odds to land the job. Uh, rumors came out that uh, Eric Bieniemy did not want to be interviewed, uh, along with uh, you know uh, Lincoln Riley uh, turning down the position. So I don't know that this was the Eagles' number one choice, but. Nevertheless, I think that the organization is really excited with who they picked, and uh, you know. I still don't even know how to react because of everyone. This is the person I knew the absolute least about, and actually, that would be an un- that is that is saying more than I even know about him. I I I didn't even know who this his name, and I don't think a lot of people did. You know, I hear I'm listening to the radio, Philly Sports Talk, um, and even the hosts on there are starting their shows off saying, "I don't know who this guy is." You know, I want to be optimistic, but the truth of the matter is. Who knows if this is a good hire or not? And only time will tell. Andrew, what do you think? This is big. Yeah, first first off, going off that, I think it was funny. Um, going off Sport Talk real quick, too. I like listening to that as well. And it was the WIP morning show. Uh, I always, their intros. And the day after the signing happened, Angelo Cataldi, and you know, he likes to rip on anyone. Anyone who does something slightly bad, he likes to rip on. Well, he, he started, the show, uh, started the show off the next day, and he was like, Honestly, guys, I can't say this is a great hire. I can't rip on this hire. I don't know anything about this guy. I don't think anybody does. Yep. And it's more about what do we think? He said the, the more problem with this is you have to trust in the organization, and that's the problem is we haven't been able to trust those guys. Yeah, you have, uh, to, you have to trust in the organization <laughs> that we don't trust. So that's uh, – I don't know. So what do you think, Andrew? I, I, but, do, you, do, you, do you feel comfortable researching enough about it? have a strong opinion or or i feel like any is going to be swayed as positive though because not a lot of people are just going to write a bunch of negative things about the latest head coach in the nfl i'd be surprised (laughs) um i I just think so even even when adam gase was hired by the jets you know a lot of people were like what the heck but then you know it's like oh it's a good hire for x y and z and same with joe judge you know no one expected him to leave new york i mean new york uh new england after being the uh, special teams coordinator or whatever. Uh, and so it's just, you know, not a lot out there on him. So, you know, I guess I know you've so, dug deep into the history of Nick Sirianni. So let's hear it. What can you tell the listeners that would make them feel more comfortable and excited about this hire? <laughs> uh, you, you know me too well, Nick. Um, 
So yeah, I obviously once this moved, once I saw that the Eagles were actually interviewing, I started diving deep into him, uh, just because I heard the interviews were going well and everything. So I knew there was a shot they'd go after him and get him once they uh, had the interview because they said we went as well as Josh McDaniels. So when I went into this guy, I, there's a lot of things I really like about him, um, and I, I know the listeners are probably like, well, yeah, because you're a Carson Wentz guy, and this probably means a lot on, on that end. But it, it goes beyond that. Um, for multiple reasons. So first, I'll start with uh, with the obvious. Yeah, this does say, okay, I think they're going to try to fix Carson Wentz, and they're going to go with Wentz next year. But the more important thing is this guy brings a lot more than just offense. He's got experience from coaching defense. He's got experience from coaching offense. You look at the history uh, – not the history. You look at the last few years of this Eagles team. Where do we complain about the most? We cl- complain about the defensive backs, how they cover guys, and they're not turning their heads. They're getting beat left and right. We talk about wide receivers dropping the ball. Well, this guy comes in with experience fixing multiple different things on the offensive and defensive en- uh, units. Uh, he was a defensive backs coach to start his career. Then he moves up to wide receivers coach, goes to offensive quality control coach, then comes an assistant quarterbacks coach, goes back to quality control, and then stays with receivers, and then works with defense again before finally getting his highest spot with the Indianapolis Colts from 2018 to 2020 as the offensive coordinator, where he fixed, I mean, before the random news or the shocking news that Luck retired, he was working with Andrew Luck, and uh, a lot of good things he did there. I mean, you look at the way he fixed that offense from where Andrew Luck, I think, got sacked the most in the league. I think it was around 50 times. And then the following year got sacked 19 times. So I think that goes to show uh, how quickly he can do something. He had Andrew Luck win uh, comeback player of the year when he was working with there. When he was the uh, quarterback's coach with the Chargers, he uh, got Phillip Rivers comeback player of the year. So he's fixed, fixed quarterbacks before when they were on a downswing. So I'm excited with that, whether they go Wentz or Hurts. I think he can be able to do that job as well and then again he works with the defensive end they they said he's had multiple years of planning games so he's he's gotten used to game planning uh, i don't i mean i think frank wright had most of the play calling but i think uh sirianni was definitely highly involved in that process from what it sounds like um and i know a lot of players usually do this but i thought it was cool a lot of a couple colts offensive players tweeted about this hire and I thought that was really cool to see that made me feel a little more comfortable uh in that sense and then finally I think one one big factor for me too is early thoughts he's going to bring in a 4-3 defense which we still have we've had recently so I think you don't have to have a complete overhaul on that end uh as we mentioned uh, Nick I know you agree with me we don't think the defense was the biggest issue uh last year or last couple years so I think Obviously, you need to get a couple pieces here and there, but you kind of bring in the same scheme. You don't have to rebuild fully, and I think this could be a really good hire uh, track record-wise, and Frank Wright had a lot of good things to say about him, which uh, made me excited to hear as well. So overall, I'm not, I like this hire. It's, it's a wait-and-see kind of hire, but I think it's going to be for the better. Yeah, I think the biggest point to take away is if Carson Wentz – I think this hire was definitely – um, made for Carson, right? I mean, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that Doug Peterson is no longer the coach because of Carson and that um, uh, this hire was specifically geared, catered to Carson. Uh, but I guess the biggest concern with that is, you know, are you 100% certain that Carson's coming back and going to be the quarterback next year, right? Like, he's obviously voiced, not voiced his displeasure, but had other people voice his displeasure, 
Um, and we can get into that more, but I mean, I, I think that's going to be the biggest takeaway on it, how good of a hire this is. Because, you know, to your point, you said with Jalen Hurts or Carson, you you believe this guy is still going to hire. But I don't think, you know, I, I still think that regardless, Carson was the guy, you know, that the that Lori and Roseman had in mind of bringing this coach in. Yeah, without right? question. Right. So, you know, I think there's a lot of concern to me if Carson's even going to come back. You know, for instance, Carson has yet to even address the new coach hire. Carson has yet to even address Doug getting fired. I mean, of all the, I mean, all almost every player from that 2017 team um, voiced their, you know. Hey, sad to see Doug go. Thanks for 2017. Thanks for the Super Bowl. Except Carson. Nothing. No words from him. No, hey, thanks for the Super Bowl. Nothing at all. We have not heard a peep from Carson since week 15. Like, so I have, you know, and and obviously I think that's his agent saying you're not allowed to talk because trade negotiations and all this. So um, that's my biggest concern is I'm not 100% confident Carson still wants to be here still. Like and and uh, you know we'll we'll see how where that goes, but uh, and we can we can get into that a bit later. But but I'm not blaming that on the Eagles. I'm I would more personally put that on Carson because you know to me it looks like from the outside the Eagles are doing everything they possibly can to make Carson once happy. Yeah, it's it's an interesting spot. I I think first of talking, I, I mean I agree with you. I think. We've all been on here uh, a few times saying we don't blame him for not coming out and talking. Uh, I don't, I don't blame him for not putting anything out on social media. Like I never really heard any Eagles flat out address the media in a full like press conference. It was all social media wise, and right. That's I mean, what I'm I was just referring to. And, as well. I, and I, I, I get it. I'm a Carson guy, but if you're a Carson spot, think about it. No matter what you put on social media to thank him, think about the turnout <laughs> that's gonna like happen. See, like, but and then I think. That, I like, think... I could see, like, we don't know what goes on behind closed doors. I could completely see Carson calling Doug or shooting him a text message. I, that's I, I that's have, fair. Yeah, I, I have no, no problem. Right. Like, I, what we what goes on behind doors is different. And I could be completely wrong. For all I know, he might have not said anything. Like, we don't know. That's what I'm saying. We don't know what goes on behind doors. But think about it. I, I mean, and I go back to this because this just still just amazes me. Carson Wentz put up a picture of his family on Thanksgiving with his dogs and his wife and people, like, the, oh, if you go to the comments, it's, oh, you can't have a Thanksgiving. Get out there and practice. You need to improve your game. You need to do all this. And it's just all negative. Like, so I, I, I don't blame him for not putting out a tweet. He, he's obviously not as loved, and rightfully so, obviously, after a down year and everything that happened. But he's not as loved as if Brandon Graham goes out and puts out a tweet. Like, or if, or if even just Darius Slay, who had a good year this year, puts out a tweet. It, it's all different. And I, I, I can't fault him. If he didn't say something to Doug behind doors, then that is absolutely wrong. I agree with you. But I don't have issues with no social media posts, if I'm being honest. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I guess that's the big if. You know, I, I, I can't see that. I can't picture him reaching out to him just because the way that this has all been painted uh, from the outside. But I hope he did, too, because you know what? It would say a lot about his character and all of that. And I want, we can get into Carson a little bit more. Uh, but I want to focus on the coach still. Um, uh, you know, did you, did you specifically name the uh, – Defensive coordinator today as well. Yes, the, they uh, they reached an agreement with the defensive coordinator. Um, I think again, I think he's he's a good hire as well. Uh, in terms of 
I think it might be more kind of real quick going off of what's going on with Nick so far in the guys I've seen him interviewed, whether it's a good thing, bad thing, however you want to take it. Um, it's we're taking a lot of the Colts coaches is what's happening for those who don't know, as I kind of pause right there. Uh, so first off the Eagles, I, I don't even know how many they interviewed because this, this happened pretty quick. The Eagles new defensive coordinator is Jonathan Gannon. Uh, he was the defensive backs coach for the Colts last season. Um, they were the number eight defense in the NFL. So obviously that's not bad. Um, but after he got the interview, they hired him pretty quick. Again, I, I believe they they interviewed one other person from uh, Washington. Was the Washington? only other candidate. Right, so, <laughs> I believe. So yeah. basically, you're looking at. Uh, I mean, I don't remember what Washington was overall, but we all know Washington had a fairly good, great defense last year. Um, so you, you interview those two guys. I don't know if that guy had history with uh, Sirianni as well, but yeah, you hire the Colts defensive back coach and Jonathan Gannon. He he comes in. He's got a pretty good voice. He, he's had a lot of game planning stuff with their defensive coordinator. Uh, I'm blanking on the Colts the defensive coordinator, but apparently he went into a lot of game planning. So he's got experience there working with those coaches there. And that's and that's something actually and that goes to show what kind of coach Frank Wright is and having all these guys be in there. You mentioned last week when we were talking about McDaniels, how you don't think Bill Belichick's the guy in there teaching those guys. And listen, we don't know if we don't know if these guys are good yet, but like the amount of like it seems like everybody has a say in that coaching room which seems completely different than what's been going on in philadelphia um and it just seems like over there it was a family atmosphere uh, and i'll get back to the defensive coordinator in a little bit but my point about this colts thing is they also i don't know if you saw this um they're bringing in uh colts assistant coach Ke- kevin uh patulo as the passing game coordinator now uh, and he coached the receivers and the passing game last year with the colts so another uh, and he, John Clark, this is John Clark's tweet, and he's also saying he's going to have say as the offensive coordinator and might actually also get that title later in the week, depending if they don't like getting the coordinators they interview uh, in that sense. So, again, you're just – and these are all guys that worked with Sirianni, and the guy that is being currently interviewed today for the offensive coordinator uh, is the current Chargers offensive coordinator who Sirianni worked with when he was out there uh, when they were the San Diego Chargers a few years ago. But going back to the coordinator again, he brings in. He's going to bring in a four-three defense, like I mentioned earlier. That's the way him and Sirianni are. Uh, I'm excited to see what they do because, listen, he's going to be coming in. And he's got his hands full. We all know Jim Schwartz didn't like the blitz. Uh, we all know the issues we saw with Schwartz, and he always played that prevent defense. But let's face it. I mean, we didn't really have any standout corners. Like obviously you trade for Darius Slay, but outside of that, you were. We're stuck with Jalen Mills, and I like Mills, but is he going to be safety next year, or is he going to go back to corner? Like, you got a lot of question marks. You got a lot of – like, these guys, we, we, all, we all focus on Wentz versus Hurts because obviously quarterback's the position to kind of go at and talk about because it's the most important on the field. But we got a lot of other type of those controversies as well all, all along the field, just not as much of a, a headache controversy, just playing controversy. So he's going to come in and have his hands full. I'm excited. Another younger guy. And that's the big thing. These guys are all young guys, and that, that seems to be the direction the leagues are going. I mean, you see the Sean McVay hire. Uh, we, we saw last year. We all know all the other guys. And um, well, I'm blanking on his name. The guy from Texas Tech was there with Arizona. Or with the, yeah, with Arizona now. Um, came on blanking on his name. But uh, So I think that's the way we're going, and now he's going to hire guys he's comfortable with. But I, I, let me ask you this question. This is kind of off topic a little bit on the actual coaching style, but 
it seems a little interesting to me that they're clearly letting Sirianni pick the coaches he wants because there's no way Jeffrey Lurie and all these guys are wanting all these Colts guys. So do you think that's them learning from their state, from their mistake or, or what? I don't know what it is. That makes, cause, cause that makes absolutely no sense when you think about it, you know, um, unless, you know, they, I, I, I truly, I think that Howie is so in love with Frank Reich that he believes that like, this is the next best thing to bring in Frank Reich back, right? They they get Nick Sirianni, and then they're just going all in on Frank Reich's hires, you know, as yeah. Nick Sirianni's hire. You know what I mean? Like, like, because if you think about it, all these guys that they're bringing over from the Colts were hired by Frank Reich, right? Yeah. So you know they're they're trusting in Frank Reich's hires <laughs> as you know collateral to bring over to the Eagles. I think that's. Honestly, Howie Roseman's logic here. Like, I think that is the logic. Um, so, and I don't think you pull any of these guys if Doug stays, you know, the head coach, you know, to that point. Like, I think the only reason you're basically, you're basically, you know, stealing the whole, the whole, uh, yeah. Colts, um, tree. Colts, the whole, I know. I mean, think about the Frank Wright coaching tree now. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Like, like, uh, so, so. It, it's crazy, but um, that's what I think is going on there. And you know what? To your optimism, like I am, I'm feeling the same way about the whole thing. Like, like, look to that to that like funny logic. I kind of buy into it, to be honest. Like, I love Frank. Who doesn't like Frank Reich? Like, obviously, he was a huge part of the 2017 Super Bowl. Um, he hired all these guys, and he has completely transformed the Colts. I mean, the Colts have been not only um, a surprisingly good team in the past two years, but like a fun team to watch. Like they're fun games to watch. Last year, who's he got? Um, was last year Teddy Bridgewater was their quarterback? No, that's the Panthers. Last year was uh, Phil Rivers. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Not this past year. The, the sorry. Last year, meaning 2019. I think it was Teddy oh. Bridgewater, right? No, no, it was uh, Jacoby Brissett. That's right. It was one of those. I knew it was one of those speed guys. Yeah, um, and, that, and that's real quick and, and, before you make it. That's why. I'm confident in Hertz as well. And I agree, this is a Wentz hire, don't get me wrong. But if they, for whatever reason, something magically switched or Wentz does one out, that's why I have some confidence in, with Hertz because of the guy you just mentioned. Right. I, I think, um, to my point, like, like, like that whole coaching staff had two seasons with two completely different quarterbacks, right? Two completely different quarterbacks. One guy's young, fast. The other guy's old, slow. <laughs> And you have a success, two successful seasons in a row, and I think that says a lot. And I think that you know, I put faith in that that staff can do it for us. You know, why not? Because listen, Carson, I think we all believe has the talent still. Um, I think the biggest thing with Carson is going to be whether or not he's willing to listen. Like, and and so that's where I want to kind of pivot. Um, if you had any final thoughts on on uh, the coaching hires so far. Yeah, so I just wanted to wrap up real quick, as we obviously both like the direction of this. Um, just a, co- a couple other coaching announcements um, while they came out today. Jeff Stoutland is still going to be the offensive line coach under this uh, with this team. There was speculation he was going to leave as well. So I actually do think that's big because obviously offensive line has been really strong um, previous years, especially when they were fully healthy. Um, so I think that's a big, strong take back uh bring back here for the eagles uh secondly 
a lot of people aren't going to like this one, uh, but Dave Phipp is going to be back as the special teams coordinator. Uh, everyone fully believes as the Eagles declined. Well, I thought this was interesting, too. Talk about as we're stealing everybody from everybody else's tree. Uh, the Eagles declined Dave Phipp the right to interview with the Detroit Lions, I think, as their defensive coordinator or special teams coordinator, something along those lines. So the Eagles still highly value him uh, as they don't allow him the opportunity to leave the team. So he will be back. Uh, I'm honestly not as disappointed as a lot of fans will be on that one. I think that, again, it goes along with Doug's recency bias. A lot of people were not liking uh, one year. Because if you remember correctly, I mean, the Super Bowl year, we had one of the best special teams in the league between Sproles and even uh, in the coverage. So, I mean, again, just a, I think it was a down year overall for the team last year. So I don't hate the move to bring back Dave Phipp. Uh, in all honesty, but I just think it's interesting that they declined him the right to interview for the Lions. I think that's kind of wrong. Um, I think he should have the opportunity to go wherever he wants. Uh, but then, I think then, obviously, uh, last thing, this has nothing to do with the Eagles. Uh, yeah, it does have something to do with the Eagles, actually. Deuce Staley has been announced today as uh, he asks to opt out of his contract with the Eagles uh, to give him a chance to go find a coaching spot elsewhere, which... And we all talked about highly on him last week. We saw what the players were saying about him. Uh, so I think it's good for him, and he has the right to try to go get an offensive coordinator spot because obviously I think his end goal is going to be a head coach one day, and I don't think he's going to do that as a running backs coach every year with the Eagles. So as much of a loss and sad it is to see him probably go, assuming the Eagles give him the right to, um, it's going to be tough to see him go. But I think it's in the best interest for himself and his family to try to get that head coaching spot eventually because I don't think you're going to make that jump from running backs coach, especially, I mean, what, this is the third time we've passed over him? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, best of luck to him, and, you know, we hope him the best. It was always kind of a weird spot. I mean, like, I never took it seriously that he was trying to become a head coach until this season, honestly. Um, and, you know, it's it's a big jump to go from running backs coach to head coach. I just never heard of it, you know. And, and I think he's, like you said, he's got to go out and get experience somewhere else. And if someone's willing to give him an offensive coordinator spot, then, you know, he's got to take that. And so best of luck to him. He's been an eagle like his whole c- career, so it's going to be weird. But, you know, hopefully he proves everyone uh, in the Eagles organization wrong, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, uh, again, it's, it's a move that has to be made, especially at this point. When 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 you passed over so much, and if they're, it doesn't even sound like they're with the new coach. They're going to consider him for the OC. So I think that would have been different if he would have been given the opportunity to at least be the OC. I think you might have saw something different, maybe. But I think uh, I think with that and with how quickly the Eagles were making the coordinator spots elsewhere, I think he realized, well, his time here is probably done. But so let's 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 pivot into the big elephant in the room and that's Carson obviously um real quick I want to touch on it before we get on to the other sports um so uh, there was an article written in by in the Philadelphia Inquirer by Jeff McLean that basically roasted Carson head to toe nonstop. um I know I sent it in our chat uh you know basically for those of you who are unfamiliar with the article written by Jeff Jeff McLean he pretty much points out that um, you know, he, he pretty much points out that Carson Wentz was unwilling to, to be coached the entire season. And, um, and, and was, I don't know if it was just this season or his whole career, but definitely this season. Um, it basically says that, 
throughout the throughout any particular game, Carson would go to the line of scrimmage and intentionally kill the plays that Doug would call and 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 run his own play that he wanted to call. Um, it said that in you know in the locker room, the court in the quarterback room specifically, um, when the coaches were trying to coach him on a certain play and say, "Hey, you missed a guy open here," he would instead just criticize them and tell them why they're wrong and why he was right in the decision he made. Um, also saying, you know, he was constantly giving up, giving them excuses and he never allowed them to re- rerun the plays in practice because um, he felt that he did the right decision anyway. So they didn't need to go over the situation again. Um, and then uh, more teammates anonymously have been coming out in this article saying that he would never own up to any mistakes in the locker room. He never took the blame on anything that would happen. So, uh, you know, the first, the first thing is obviously, is this true? But, this, you, know, I, you know, it's hard to just ignore all of this again because this is not the first time we've heard these crazy things about him. Um, so I, I think we have to start with, you know, basing it on, you know, whether or not you think it's true. I believe that there's truth in it. I'm not certain that this is 100% true, but I don't think that I can deny that there's got to be truth in this. Um, and yeah, I think it's 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 the most concerning article or news that has come out on Carson that I have ever heard. And I don't know what your thoughts on it, Andrew, are, but but you know, I, like I said, like we said, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, and there's a lot of smoke around Carson right now. And he uh, to to the point about him not coming out and saying anything on anything else. He it's not like he came out and defended himself on this. So it kind of leaves you sitting in this position of, okay, you know. This guy's, you know, a reporter for the Eagles, you know, to the Eagles um, for the Philadelphia Inquirer. Uh, there's got to be some truth in here. And and if it is, it's so hard to believe that the guy all, who, like, off the field seems like such a nice guy that in the locker room just seems like an absolute nightmare. And um, if there is even some truth to this, I think you have a huge problem on your hands. And I think you have, you know, it's been talked around also that there's a problem that other players in the locker room don't want Carson back as the starter next year. Um, so what are your thoughts on this article on this, these allegations, allegations, these comments against Carson? I don't make sound like a, a criminal. Yeah, he's not. No, no, I'm sorry. These, these comments on Carson. I mean, like, you know, there's a lot to be said here. So I'm curious what your thoughts were on it. I think you made some really good points and a couple of things that I wrote down as well on this article. First off, raises my eyebrows in other areas, which I guess now don't qualify. But first off, I'd say, of course, I'll start off with saying this. Smoke, there's fire. We all know the saying, yes. Obviously, there's got to be some truth to it. Uh, point number one to it. I don't know how much to take away from this, and I'm interested to see what your comments on this will be. But to me, is this anything really new, to be honest with you? Um, How many times have you, Zach or Luke or whoever else brought up before about possible issues with Wentz in the locker room? How many times have people reported on it? Uh, Jeff McClain's the guy that wrote the one last time, I think, uh, after uh, the Eagles made the run uh, when they lost to the Saints. I think McClain was the guy that started that speculation there. And started that one two years ago. We've been hearing Wentz has been changing the plays at the line, I think, since he was a rookie. So, to me, 
I really I read this article and don't get me wrong, as bad as it made him seem, I read it and that I kind of read it almost twice and I was like, okay, why is this why is this news? Like this is just a guy to me and nothing. I like Jeff McClain, nothing against him, but and I obviously changed the wording, but. Is this article really that much different than what we read two years ago? Like, it's the same speculation. It's the same. I, it's the same issues that he didn't have faith in the coaching after uh, Frank Wright left. Um, so, to me, I read this and was like, okay, nothing really new to me. Um, I, I see your point, but I think there was some point. different wording that you know kind of make jumps at you, like intentionally killing the place because he didn't want anything to do with Doug. Like, like they didn't trust anything Doug had to offer. And, I, and like, to okay. me, that confirmed wait, wait, wait. the theory, though. That confirmed the theory that I had brought up many weeks ago of why, you know, to your point, when you we came on here, you said, why is it looks like Doug's running a different offense with Jalen Hurts. This makes it sound like, no, he wasn't. Carson just wasn't running the plays Doug Peterson was calling. No, you're correct, but... First off, winning cures everything. That's obviously a thing. Second, if... Right, but we're losing, so... <laughs> if Well, and that's why it's an issue. If the, like, if he was calling audibles, and, I mean, Aaron Rodgers calls audibles. Like, that's my, my point. Like, Aaron Rodgers kills a lot of plays. Winning cures everything. If we would have won those games, it would be a whole different story. Um, and who knows? Like, here's my question to you, like, to my point about winning cures everything. When you're losing, these reporters are searching for things to try to find. Why would Carson Wentz randomly, like, not, like, he, to me, he's probably been calling these same audibles and changing place his entire career. But they didn't, you don't want to come out and say all this when you're winning, is, is my point. Like, it's not like in 18, he's like, oh, you know what, I, even though I went 11-3 and three last year, oh, I'm not going to trust Doug Peterson's play calling, so I'm going to change everything at the line. Like, to you me, know, he was, he's probably been doing this almost his entire career, is my guess. To this extent, maybe not. Maybe not to this extent. You're but, probably not wrong about that. You're probably not wrong. I, I, I think that I, I would buy into that he was trying to get he, – he could have been trying to get Doug fired this year because he was tired of his play calling style. Like, I could buy into that. Um, and I could buy into, you know, obviously we were winning before this year, so that's could be why we didn't hear of it. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, I see your point. I just think it really paints a bad picture on Carson, and it paints a bad picture of where, you know, the locker room f- sees him on this team. And if that's the case, like we said, if Doug lost the locker room, if Carson lost the locker room, can he really still be successful here? Yeah, and before I answer that, I just want to quick – finish a couple a couple points second again we have to be careful how much we take because there was multiple reporters that came out on this article because i really like reading all the comments too where they said a lot of this isn't true uh, like apparently they're saying the same eagles reporters who are in that locker room are saying it's not as divided in there as this article makes out the seem that's that's one point so again we have to be careful what we take away uh i mean again we're never gonna know what's actually going on and maybe all 52 other guys don't like him but maybe I mean, we don't really know. Uh, so that's, again, there, there's just as many people saying it's not true as people saying it is true. So I, I don't know what to believe uh, from the player standpoint. Obviously, there's disconnect in the coaching. I'm not saying that one. Second, the practice thing you mentioned. Like, don't get me wrong. What Wentz did, if that, if that is true, is very bad in itself. But does that not – my the, this is what I was saying my eyebrows raised uh, 
but I guess it's not a point anymore without the coach there, but that's your job as a coach. Like you're the one controlling practice. If you can't let Carson Wentz be like, Oh, next play, we're not going to go back as a coach. You're the one seeing, wow, this play is breaking down. We need to work on this play. This, we need to work on this play the most. We're going to go back and work on this play. Like you're the coach. You gotta, you gotta put that back in, in, in the place, like play scheme. And that's, and again, that's just on both of them. Like, and if, and if you're going to upset your quarterback, you're going to upset your quarterback. Like, that's your job to coach the team. And if, and maybe that's where some of the disconnect started because if you're not going to do your job and coach the team, then that's going to make everyone else upset about maybe you're favoring Wentz. And then that's going to cause disagreement between the players to Wentz because they're going to be like, oh, wow, Wentz is being favorited like this, so they're going to have an edge on him. So don't get me wrong. Obviously, again, what Wentz did was terrible, but – I'm just saying maybe that's part of what went into Jeffrey Lohr and Howie's decision to, to let Doug go. Because to me, that's a big concern from a, a, a higher-up standpoint. If you're at practice and you see my coach right here, like his job is to continue doing like He's got to control the players there. So maybe that's something that caused the disconnect between Lori and Doug. And I don't know. Maybe that's what started yeah. that one. So Look, uh, I, I just want to comment on that because, again, that, I, that raises eyebrows from the quarterback standpoint and the coaching standpoint. You know, that's a hundred percent good point. And, and, and I didn't look at it that way, but, and I don't think that takes any blame off of Carson. I just think no, that what, adds yeah. blame to, like you said, to Doug. And I think, you know, that is his job. And if he could, and, and there was a lot of reports that he wasn't, you know, enough of a hard coach. He was, you know, a bit of a coddler, you know, and, and that was a bit of a weakness for him. So if that, if Carson's like, Hey, we don't need to run this playing and Doug's not running it, you know, in practice, that is a big failure. You're right. And I didn't even look at it like that, but that's a huge failure as a coach. Um, and to that point, you know, that reminded me, I don't know if you heard, um, one of the, it came out that one of the reasons that Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Laurie didn't, uh, go with the Deuce Staley hire. I don't know if you heard this was that Deuce criticized the organization for coddling, Carson Wentz in his interview. <laughs> That's funny. And they did no one not like hired. that. No one they did not hired. like that at all. And he said, if I'm the head coach, basically he was like, if I'm the head coach, you know, I'm going to be, a, you know, hard on Carson. You know, he is not getting coddled anymore. I don't, you know, I think he's been coddled way too much in this organization. And they did not respond well to that at all. Well, <laughs> one, no wonder why, no wonder why they didn't hire him. And number two, no wonder right. why Deuce went out because that would be awkward next season. <laughs> yeah, what? Do you, yeah, I mean, he, that's basically saying I'm leaving, or you're hiring me as head coach, and we're going to run things my way. And they let him leave. And let, look, I mean, everyone's entitled to their opinion, but you know, I think that was just a baller move by <laughs> Deuce Staley. You know, which is also funny, and it's going to be interesting to see how Wentz handles it. Is that's one big thing I didn't mention about Sirianni is everything I keep reading is. He's very similar in, to Doug and Frank Wright, but don't, like a big difference. A big mm-hmm. difference apparently is um, is that he's uh, what's the word? Oh, he's a lot harder on his players yeah. than those I two. Have... Are. So that's that that again that might be a reason for for that hire and disconnect from the last year's team. So I'm really interested to see how this moves forward, and I'm excited to see the direction of of this because again, I don't have any issues with it. I, you know, I, I agree. I'm excited for the Eagles' future, and there's going to be plenty to talk about next week, I'm sure, because new new stuff comes out every day, new hires. Um. Hey guys, Zach here. Uh, I guess, you know, benefits of editing the podcast sometimes. I can just cut in real quick, even though I missed the recording session. I just wanted to give my thoughts real, real quick on Nick Sirianni 
uh, I hope I said his name right, being the new head coach, as well as some of the other things going on with the Eagles right now. Um, let's just start with the head coach. Obviously, came out of left field. No one I know. Uh, you, you look into it. I think Nick made the joke. It's part of the Frank Reich tree, uh, and that's that's a good thing. I, I think that's a good direction for the organization to go. Uh, I like that he's younger. Um, call me biased, but I think that's a good thing. I think that's that's something he's not going to just hold on to the veterans because they're veterans. Um, he's not going to just forgive people because they won the Super Bowl. He's a new young guy and he wants to win on his own. So I think he has a nice fresh aspect and I like that attitude. Uh, we got to see him walk into the office at the Eagles and at Lincoln Financial Field the other day on Twitter. And I love it. He looks, he looks ready to go. And I like that. And I'm excited. And I also like that it sounds like he's been picking his own coaching staff, something I did not expect. I know someone on the uh, Fanatic made the joke that when this guy was hired, we assumed that he was a Howie Roseman puppet, and I 100% agreed with that, and here I am biting my tongue. Like It seems like Sirianni is picking his own men, and that excites me. It excites me that he's picking guys he trusts to make these decisions, to step up and 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 make this team their own. And while that kind of sounds weird, I think that's what we needed. I think Howie had his fingers too much dug into this team, and by having a coach that is getting involved and hopefully is a little more of uh hopefully takes a little more accountability, which I'll get into in a second. It, it, again, I think it's nothing but a good thing. Do I think the Eagles are going to go win you know twelve games next year? No, I, I don't. I don't think this is drastic for the next season. I think there's plenty of off season to decide what's actually going to happen. But I think this is a good direction, and I'm, as I've said, excited. Now, going off of that, um, I want to also comment on Howie. Just, I don't trust him with this draft. I've made that clear. I don't trust Howie, and and I don't. I don't agree with a lot of Howie's choices. And that being said, the way his interview process went with saying that it's Wentz or die, I, I don't know. I didn't like that. I, I want to give Wentz another opportunity, but again, as as they point out, where the smoke, there's fire, and I'll, I believe the the crap that's going around about Wentz right now. Unfortunately, I, I don't think I don't think we cannot believe it. I think we have to believe it. I think there's so much talk now about Wentz being stubborn. And again, not taking accountability and doing his own thing, I think we have to believe that that's actually happening. And it's so bizarre being on the outside of the organization looking in as just fans because we just want to see them win. And I know Andrew makes that point. You know, winning cures everything. Absolutely true. Winning does cure everything. However, right now we are getting a glimpse of that. We are seeing that glimpse that is, you know, what is the disassociation within the locker room between the players, between the coaches? So with this new coach, I, I absolutely hope that he steps in and he just looks once in the eye and goes, look, you're doing what I say or else, because that's what we need. We need, if Wentz is the guy, at least this year, and, and you got to assume at least this year, and I get that because of the contract, but the coach and the new staff that, that Sirianni is bringing in, they have to take accountability and they have to look them in the eye and just be like, listen to us or else, or else just you're, you're going to get benched. And for that reason, I don't want to lose Jalen hurts. 
I don't want him to be the guy. I don't think he has the capability of being the guy right now. However, I also don't give a crap about Wentz's quote-unquote feelings. Like, he shouldn't be, oh, no, like, I'm so hurt because this other guy came in and you guys all don't trust me and now there's a backup that I have to look over my shoulder yeah that's how the work world works bro for everyone everywhere employers employees that's how it works so just because you're uncomfortable with your 130 million dollar contract I'm sorry I couldn't care less play the game and you know what if it's true that Wentz is the one killing all the plays that means we don't even know what Doug's play calling was like like think back to and I think it was my dad who I was talking to the other day who made this like call the the article that came out against Wentz said Wentz was killing off Doug Peterson's plays so so let's think about two things here if Wentz was killing off Doug Peterson's plays we actually don't know what Doug Peterson was like as an OC except for the Jalen Hurts playing uh so if you go look at those four games those four games are the only actual Doug Peterson OC games that we know of or when Nick Foles was still underneath him and and again then you go to that record of Doug had a better record without Carson Wentz so Carson Wentz not listening could very well be costly and the second thing I wanted to look at is you know so so if <laughs> the the point the second thing I wanted to point out was how many times do you watch the Eagles and you hear Carson Wentz go kill 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 well I don't know. I always kind of thought that was to throw off the other team or that was just to lead into their plays. You know, call me naive or whatever. But now hearing this article that Carson Wentz was literally killing plays, I, I, I'm going to go with every time he said kill, kill, he was killing a play, which was like every play. So I think when you think about it like that, how could you not assume that Carson Wentz is a huge huge issue right now and it's it's absolutely unfortunate that's that's the best way to put it is 100 unfortunate uh it Carson Wentz has the talent absolutely he has the talent and capability of going to a Super Bowl I'm not not saying that or I'm not saying that anyway what I am saying is if he's truly this stubborn and, and you know, not coming out and saying goodbye to Doug, not coming out and saying hello to Nick Sirianni, not stepping into the limelight at all, and behind walls just completely, you know, undermining coaches, undermining other players, putting himself on a pedestal. I, I don't want that guy as my quarterback. Now I'm just a podcast co-host fan trying to vent his feelings and opinions on the matter, but. The, the fact of the matter is, I'm going into this season not ready for Wentz. Last season, I, I mean, I was already... Last season, I was upset at Howie, but, like, I was excited for the season to start. This, you, you know, you're assuming the first full season for Wentz, which is mind-blowing that we didn't even get that because of Jalen Hurts, who stepped in and, you know, played whatever. And now, I'm going into this next season with, great, w what is Wentz going to do? Is he going to listen are the coaches going to be – and then that's the last thing I wanted to say. Do you really blame the coaches, like, because they can't control their diva quarterback? Like, a coach can only do so much. We've said that on this podcast multiple times. 
Coaches coach, the players play the game. The players are the one that are making the plays, and you need a playmaker to make plays. You know, that's the whole thing is he doesn't have the right weapons, blah, 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 blah. But the quarterback, I I mean, look at Tampa Bay, guys. Tom Brady, I love this tweet I saw, and I wish I could credit whoever said this, but Tom Brady literally went, what team do I want to take to the Super Bowl? And he did that. So I never again want to hear, oh, Wentz doesn't have enough on his roster. No, Wentz has the capability to be better. He just isn't. And unfortunately, that's the case. And, you know, I think it's going to go one of two ways. And I think those are best described by the other team that they're about to talk about on the podcast, which is the Sixers. You know, is a new coach going to come in here and rejuvenate Wentz like Embiid is rejuvenated and just killing it in MVP mentality? Or is a new coach going to come in here and we're going to see nothing but continuous decline like Ben Simmons, who is an utter embarrassment to the Sixers organization right now? But I'm going to leave it at that. Last thing about the Eagles I wanted to say was to do Staley. You know, I, I one thing I kind of agree with is that I would have liked to see him as the coach or the offensive coordinator. I don't I don't think he just necessarily, quote-unquote, deserved it. You know, I think he had to earn it, and, you know, an interview is part of that. However, I, I, I do think it was a baller move. I think Nick said a baller move for him to go in and just be like, yeah, I don't like Wentz. He is, again, I'm going to use the word diva. It sounds like Deuce Staley was just like, I don't like Wentz. He's a diva. Uh, I want to play with Hurts. And I'm going to play it my way. And Howie and Jeffrey Laurie were like, no. And then he's like, all right, peace, bra, I'm out. Which is exactly what I think Doug Peterson did as well. So I think those, I respect the heck out of those moves. I wish Deuce Daly the best. I still wish Doug Peterson the best. And pretty nervous about this upcoming Eagle season. With that, I'm going to send it back to Nick and Andrew. So let them finish the pod. Thanks, guys. But let's get into the the... You know, one of the one of the positive teams in the in the city right now, and that's the Philadelphia 76ers, right? Here they come, right? Big week for the Sixers. They swept the Celtics, you know, a, a series that was, you know, absolutely exciting. Um, you know, we were thrilled to see this kind of competition and everything. How are we how are we gonna match up to them compared to the playoffs last year? Um, and look, two beating them twice in a row is is great and all. Um I definitely had some critiques though watching it, and I'm sure you did too, Andrew. Um, uh, you know, I, I, but 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 above all, you know, two wins to the Celtics, and and they beat the Pistons uh, as well this week. So look, the, the the Sixers right now sit 12 and five. I believe uh, they're sitting yes, first place in the Eastern Conference. <clears throat> so look, I think you have to be pretty happy overall with how this team's performing. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, there's multiple spots to be excited with. There's multiple spots to be concerned with, uh, and I think it's hey, I think it's going to be the way this year's going to go. I, I, I'm interested to see the way it continues to progress. But listen, we're 17 games in now. Uh, we're like you said, 12 and five, first in the East. So when you're first in the East, it's obviously it seems hard to complain about. But yeah, it's our job. Uh, so it's it's a big spot here, and I think. I think Doc Rivers has come in and done a great job. And I think I think as much as a Brown fan I was, I think Rivers is making a huge difference. And I think uh, I might have been wrong about Brown. And I think you're seeing how well this coach has come in and how big of a difference he's done. 
And I think it's, it goes to show the overall over the whole entire standpoint too. And, and we talk about, we just got done talking about whole coaching overall and everything. And, and we've obviously been in the past talked about the Phillies and that's what you had here. And, and you bring in the guys that we've, this is what we wanted last year. You brought in shooters, you brought in defense, you brought in veterans. Like this is the mix. And that goes to show Daryl Morey and doc rivers. And, I mean, my biggest – I'll start with the positive. My favorite thing so far about this year is we know what Joel Embiid's brought us in the past, and we've wished he would take it to the next level. And he has. Joel Embiid has taken it to the next – you're not going to get a better Embiid. Like, this is the best Embiid. Uh, this is, this and, is M- MVP talent. I mean, this is he's yeah. actually competing for the MVP this year. It's ex- I, I totally agree. Okay, I know it's 17 games in, but if the season ended today, I think Joel Embiid would win uh, Most Valuable Player of the Year this year. Uh, he's averaging about 28 points a game. Uh, this guy, talk about shape, man. I don't, like, he is taking, like, he's in the best shape of his Sixers career, at least. Um, and you know what? I, I'm going to go credit. And this is what veterans do, and we wish veteran experience in other sports and other guys. And that's why they brought Al Horford in here. And maybe, maybe there's a disconnect or something between Embiid and Horford, but Dwight Howard, who's always been criticized for the way he's acted in locker rooms and stuff. He's come in here and I think he's made a difference on Joel Embiid's career. I really do. And Embiid said it the other day, Dwight Howard's probably one of the best teammates he's ever had. And I thought that like, I thought that was pretty alarming. I think Howard, and we saw him, and everyone was laughing about, oh, because Dwight Howard's not a good shooter, but Howard was in the gym after that couple games early on with Simmons working with him after games, and everyone's laughing because, okay, it's not a good shooter trying to help Simmons, but that's not the point of that whole thing. That whole point is the veteran leadership getting him to go out there and do those extra workouts after games, being in there, teaching these guys what to do left and right. And I think that's really helped them. And as much as Doc Rivers has helped them on the coaching floor, I think Dwight Howard's done a lot for the younger guys in terms of veteran presence and getting them to learn. Uh, so I think that's gone a long way. And again, we mentioned 12 and 5, but I'm going to read you this stat because we obviously everyone knows the Sixers had those COVID cases and were forced to play and everything. Well, the Sixers are 9 and 0 with their actual starting five. So, I mean, I, I think that's pretty exciting in itself right there. Uh, but, no, Seth Curry, I mean, talk about a guy who's coming in and shoots. He's 56% from three. Uh, like, you took, I, that was my, that was my uh, bring to the table this week. I, <laughs> I, I'm in love with Seth Curry. Keep going, though. Sorry. Yeah, he's Sorry. just incredible. And, hey, I'm going to bring this up because, you know, me and Luke debated it, and I got into plenty of arguments, plenty of arguments about, with this, about this guy on Twitter. Tobias Harris, like, he just continues to go out there and do great things. And listen, all the haters have gone quiet for whatever reason. I don't know. Like he's shooting a lot. He's shooting. His shooting percentages are better than they were in the past. But overall, his game hasn't changed that much. And I think he continues giving the work. Uh, I, I'm going to wait for to hear your your excitements before I get into some of the negatives here. But uh, Ben Simmons also obviously playing great, phenomenal defensively, and uh, that's gone a long way so far. Yeah. Look. I- I I think I I I repeatedly said how much I loved the Dwight Howard signing in the offseason for the exact reasons that you were saying. Like I, I think he just is that veteran presence. You know, he's coming off of winning a ring with LeBron. He he's gonna just bring that kind of um, attitude that you need in a team to it. And before that, you know, it was kind it's kind of like it's it was almost like a, a freshman team, right? And then they didn't have a senior. Like if you're if it's like a, a college team, right? It's like a freshman team with no senior on it, and, and all of a sudden you get that senior presence, 
who's going to c- come in and, and, and contribute big time um, off the court, probably more than on the court, you know, like, like, like in, and in, to hear Embiid even saying that and mention that, I think is, is a huge testimony to that in itself. Um, and, and then going off of that, like I said, you know, like I interrupted you, I, Seth Curry is shooting <laughs> lights out. I mean, before last game, he was 60% from three point, from the three point range. I mean, yeah, that's one bad game. <laughs> ridiculous. And I don't know if you have this stat in front of you, uh, the uh, effective field goal percentage, um, which uh, is a stat that adjusts for the fact a three-point field goal is worth one more than a two-point field goal. So, like, it credits more, a three-pointer more than a two. Um, he's shooting seven thir- 73%. <laughs> from, I mean, that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, and leads the league in that, in that category. And, look, I think, um, you know, he's averaging 16 points a game. You know, all these all these things are you know the most in his career like last year he last year he averaged he tied his high for um average points a game and was 12 this year he's got 16 and a half a game um so i think he's bringing a lot more than i think a lot of people thought he was going to give you and and i think that's a huge part to this and look um ben simmons is playing outstanding as far as defense and, and everything uh he's coming off a great game last uh last night or whenever it was um against the Pistons. Um, I would have liked to see, you know, in the Celtics game, in the first one specifically, I think he, he's still just hesitant with that, with driving to the net and like trying to, you know, you know, just score more. And look, I think you've brought it up before. I think he's doing a very good job right now. I still want to see more from him because I believe he can do that. Like, 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 look, it's great that he's going to average 12 points a game, I mean, I'm not great that he's average. It's great. It's great that he's going to average ten assists a game, right? But I'd rather see him average twenty points with seven assists a game or six assists a game. You know, I want to because to me that twenty point average tells me that he has confidence in himself to take it to the rim. And look, I get it. Like he's passing to the guys out in three, and they're getting. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it's great. But. You know, there's a lot of times where it looks like he can just go take a dunk or a layup or something to the net, and he dishes it outside to the, to the three, and it, and it looks it looks like to me like a fear thing. Like he he he's not confident that he can go do that, so he's dishing it out. I mean, to everyone else, it seems like he's just way ahead of everyone else in basketball IQ and can just see these guys open and everything. And look, I don't just doubt that his basketball IQ is great and he can do that. But I think he he needs to, to put the ball in the net uh, more specifically, you know, layup and, and dunking and, and all that. Because I, I, I think everything right now is great. But if you want to win the, the East this year, I think I still believe that Simmons needs to be averaging close to 20 points a game. And and, and finally, <clears throat> to go off your Tobias Harris point, sure, yeah, I totally agree. Obviously, all the haters are um, – uh, are, are much quiet and quieter and he's average actually averaging 0.2 percent less than he is last year um uh averaging 19.4 points a game but look he's shooting i think i think one thing that you know you have to I, first of all winning cures everything like you said and the Sixers are winning very well right now um so people aren't going to hate on tobias harris as much but also there's really not much to hate on him this year because compared to last year, he's pretty much up in all of his categories. His two-point uh, shooting percentage, 
His three-point shooting percentage, big time. His three-point uh, percentage last year, he's making 36% of his threes, which was, I think, a lot of the criticism. This year, he's, he's, he's hitting 45% of, 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 his, of, the th- of the threes he's taking, which is a significant improvement of you know pretty much 10%. Um, he's up on his field goal percentage from 47% to 51%. Uh, so I think that there's nothing to complain about Tobias Harris right now. I think he's doing everything you can ask him to do. He's averaging practically 20 points a game. And it, it, like I said, if he's averaging 20 points a game, he's shooting lights out like this. You got Seth Curry just making everything he throws up. And the veteran presence of Dwight Howard, you know, I, you know, the Nets was a, is a cool story that not, a, it, first of all, it's not a cool story. It's a, <laughs> it's a great, you know, I'm air quoting there. Um, but look, I'm, I'm not afraid of the Nets really at all. Cause I just don't believe that in the long term, J- James Harden and Kyrie Irving can play basketball together. Like I just don't think that's going to work out well for them in the long term. Um, um, and even if it does, I, I, I think if you got Tobias Harris averaging 20, uh, and Bede's averaging almost 30, right? I, I mean, I think you're going to be able to at least compete with them for the East. Yeah, absolutely. You made a lot of good things. And first, on the Harris point, I think the biggest difference for Tobias Harris, one, I think he's play, he, he loves Doc Rivers. He, he's played, he played very well with him when he uh, first had him. Uh, second, I think the biggest thing, I really don't think Harris has changed much in his game, except I think he's taking the ball inside more. Uh, because now th- this is what happens when you build a complete team. And this is what I tried to mention in other sports. I remember when we used to debate the cornerback controversy and the reliever controversy. Like if you, it's not about adding so much talent. It's just putting guys in the right spot. And this was my whole argument before when we had Andre Iguodala. We were asking him to be our LeBron James, our superstar. It's never that Iguodala was a bad player. You just had to put guys around him. And, and that's what you did here with Harris. That you didn't, like Harris isn't out here like. You you don't just magically get better ten percent from in those areas, but the difference is you put pieces around him that fit him well, and he goes back to his actual game now. And you're not relying on him to shoot threes like he he doesn't have to shoot as many threes like he did last year. Because now you got Seth Curry, you got Danny Green hitting him, and then the biggest thing you got Shake Milton off the bench, who very good chance of winning Sixth Man of the Year this year, uh, averaging fifteen points off the bench, and I think that's one big thing. Uh, is the bench depth, and that's what's going to carry the Sixers that they've lacked in the past is uh, is the bench depth. Uh, and, like, you stole my one negative, honestly, in the Ben Simmons thing. Um, I think, uh, listen, I love Ben Simmons. I've defended him as much as anyone. Uh, I really expected him no, to— No, you don't, Andrew. You're a hater. You're a Ben Simmons hater, man. I, I th- This was the year, though. I expected it to change, and so far it has not changed. And I'm going to be honest, I'm disappointed with it. Um, don't get me wrong, I love the eight assists, eight rebounds a game. But listen, as optimistic as I'm being, I also have to be realistic. Uh, I'm a realist as well. Um, and the big thing here, listen, what what we did against the Celtics was great. Don't get me wrong. I went over the Celtics is amazing, but let's face it. You barely beat like the Celtics were in those games. They were missing their best player in Jason Tatum due to uh, COVID, and another key player as well due to COVID. So as good as those wins were, where would you have been though, with if those guys are playing? And my my point here is, when when we're gonna go up against the Celtics in the playoffs, if we do, when we're gonna be going up against the Nets or the Bucks, if we really want to be that team to go to the East. Ben Simmons is going to have to average more than 12 points. And 
I'm not asking him to shoot five threes a game. I could care less if he shoots five or zero. That's not where he has to get better. He just needs to, and maybe it was because of the trade rumors for Harden. That, like, that does affect players. Like, let's be real in that self. So maybe with that in the past, maybe we'll start to see his game change. Because what he did in the fourth quarter of that second Celtics game and then what he did against the Pistons is what you need from Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons scored, I believe, it was 11 points in the fourth quarter in that game, then obviously 20 against the Pistons. And I'm going to ask him to average 20. I'm just asking for him to average about 16 or 17 going forward, and I think that's going to make a huge difference for this team because uh, because you're still, like you said, he lacks the confidence in being aggressive, and it really shows at times, and it, and it hurts. But overall, again, he's having a great year. He's going to be in the running for Defensive Player of the Year, and that's what's amazing. You might win MVP in Embiid. You might win Defensive Player of the Year in Simmons, and you might win Sixth Player of the Year in Shake Milton. And if you win all those, you might even win Coaching of the Year. With Doc Rivers. So this could be a special year uh, in the end. But yeah, that would be my but, one thing. But in the end, in the end, <laughs> in the end, there's only one thing that we care about that if we win. <laughs> the championship, which I don't know for being the Lakers. But uh, no, yeah, that's my only one thing is I like to see Simmons be a little more aggressive. But overall, he's playing fine. It's just that one area. Is, we, listen, we've been saying it for three or four years now. I would like to see him improve. And, Again, maybe it was the trade rumors affecting him, and maybe we're going to start to see a new Simmons because we've kind of seen it in the last two games. But I will say, I feel like I've said that before. Uh, so we'll see what happens, but I'm excited to see how this goes forward and, and what, what this team has because, uh, honestly, whether you, whether you beat the Bucks or Nets, in the cha- like if you do beat them or not, I think championship is the ceiling for this team. Yeah, I think definitely the, the Eastern championship is this, is is. Very much. Getting to the championship, I think, is a very, very realistic goal for this team. Um, at least getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, absolutely. And look, uh, just to finish the point on Ben Simmons, like, you know, he's down. He's, he's averaging four points less a game this year. So to your point, I think you absolutely have to be critical of the guy. You know, I, I get it. He's averaging eight assists a game, but he averaged that last year too. So, so he's clearly like digre- digressing from last year, is what I'm saying. Um, you know, his steals are down, but I'm not gonna. I'm not. It's it's still high, so you're not gonna <laughs> criticize that. But, but my, my point is, I think there's a lot of like, I think the defense for Simmons is, yeah, he's not he's not scoring 16 points a game anymore. But look at all of his assists, and it's like, well, he's actually performing the same amount of assists last year the only major stat he's down in is scoring like he's not he's just not scoring exactly much. and so i think you're absolutely right he he needs to get the ball in the net more and uh while he needs to get the ball in the net the flyers need to keep the puck out of the net because my, let's transition from the sixers unless you have anything else to say no, we're good. Um, and move on to the Flyers, who are breaking my heart early on in the season. And breaking my heart is a direct pun at Carter Hart, who is coming off, I think, the worst two-game stretch of his young career, perhaps. Um, you saw his immediate frustration in the 6-1 to loss to the Bruins, where he's slamming his stick on the ice, something you don't see from Carter I know he had all. that in him. <laughs> um, right. And and look, it's it's concern. I'm concerned. And I, I'm not concerned about him. I'm just concerned about this team. You can't afford to have these bad stretches in a, such a short season this year. Um, they got to pull it around quick because, look, they were off to a, a terrific hot start. And 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 right now they're, they're sitting here 3-2-1. and one. Uh, they, they went into the series with the Boston Bruins. The Bruins had one win. And now, look, you're, you're – you're, 
Boston Bruins are three one and one. Flyers are three two and one. You're 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 right there with the Bruins now, and you had a two game lead on them. Um, so it, it's it's going to be, and obviously you're in the the same division as the Bruins this year. So it's going to be, you know, you said how hard of a division it is to get uh, into the fly, into the um, postseason four, and you're just not going to be able to have these kind of um, drafts. So I think the Flyers need to to to, to put it, you know. They gotta have a quick turnaround here, and Carter Hart needs to shake this off. I absolutely have not wavered my confidence in Carter Hart. I love him. He's gonna—he's a fantastic goalie. Uh, he's had a bad uh, two games, but look, I, I am gonna put the the first the the first loss to the Bruins is definitely, in my opinion, on Carter Hart's shoulders. You can't come into the the third period of this game and give up four goals. I, I was absolutely unacceptable. The Flyers are up two nothing in the third period. Then come back, take the lead again, and go up three two, and you still give up four, two more goals and 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 lose the game in, in a shootout in overtime. So, look, these that can't happen. Um, I, I I still have complete confidence in this team, but uh, you need to see better play out of Carter Hart for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a couple things I want to touch on here uh, on that uh, note real quick. And first, I'll stick with Carter Hart. And let me just start by saying this: this is. Nothing against my confidence to him. I'm fully confident in him. This is nothing against just because of recency bias of how bad he's been playing. I kind of thought this going into the year, too. And this kind of goes along with you see it in baseball with the catching. Uh, Are you concerned about fatigue at all with Carter Hart? Not Carter Hart, but just any goalie in general. Like, if you look at a normal year, you're going to have more breaks and stuff. Like, if you look at this year, though, you're literally playing. You're going back to back. You're, You're playing the same thing over and over. You're like... Let's face it, the Flyers had, since we did a podcast last Monday, we recorded last week, they had four games. Like, we're usually not on here talking about fire, like, four games in a week. Like, you know, you got a lot more, like, because the season started so late in January, you're squeezing a lot more games in. And I think that's going to affect him and other goalies, to be honest, this season. And I think that's, and we have an advantage of having a guy like Brian Elliott behind as a backup. So then. And this isn't just necessarily for Hart, but this is more toward the back end of the playoffs too, is you want him as healthy as possible and everything. And like you have the benefit of using a Brian Elliott. Like when he had a play against Buffalo after the six one loss on Monday, Brian Elliott went out and uh, had a shutout. It was three nothing Flyers win. So again, I think that goes to show the confidence in Brian Elliott too. And I think that's something maybe you might see going forward. Again, nothing against Carter Hart, just the weird year that's gonna bring this year uh in in having to change up goalies maybe a little bit more just to keep them fresh. And here's the thing. And, and you, we talk about I mean, baseball with pitchers and stuff. When you play the same team like twice in the matter of three weeks and the pitchers face the same team twice in a row. Well, you look at this year, even days you're not playing back-to-back. You're doing a series this year in hockey. This is something these guys aren't used to. So, And I get it. You can make the adjustment to their offense too. But I feel like it would be a lot easier for forwards and centers and stuff to make that adjustment uh, for guys this year, like in terms of scoring, and that's why I think you might have more high-scoring games than in hockey this year because you're playing those back-to-back games, not necessarily back-to-back. Excuse me, uh, you're playing the same team in two-game series. So after that game, you're facing that same team the next day. They're gonna—I mean, they know what they did wrong. Like, they know how they shoot and wh- where they missed on certain shots, like and stuff. Like these guys are like veteran players in the NHL. They they know how to make those adjustments. So I think you're you're kind of seeing that as well. Uh, in terms of not only like the amount of games so quickly, but in terms of you're playing the same team back to back. I get it. We're only 
uh, six games into the year. So, I mean, I could be jumping the gun here, but I think that's just something I thought of going into the year as well that you have to be careful with. And, I mean, Nick already mentioned it today. We already mentioned in the past. This isn't like when you're playing back-to-back teams, you're playing the lesser teams in the league either. When you're playing these same teams two times in a row, you're playing the best of the best pretty much, teams that have been in the cup recently, have been in the finals recently, have been top of the conference uh, last year. And don't get me wrong, I know the Bruins had a slow start, but let's also remember before the shutdown last year, this they were the first team in the uh, not National Hockey League for a reason. Yeah, and before that, they were in the Stanley Cup the year before. So to your point, uh, they're an absolutely fantastic team. Um, I, I thought they would win the Cup last year, honestly, because I love their team so much. Um, and look, I, I agree with you. I actually would have thought uh, Moose, the Moose would have got the start yesterday, uh, Brian Elliott, obviously, um, uh, because because as of right now, he's only started one game out of six. And I, I agree with you. I think that ratio needs to be more like four to two. Like I think you have Carter Hart come on two games and then you give him a day off. I think two to one uh, ratio um, kind of keeps him going for the, all the reasons you just said. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I, it's early in the season. I think Elaine Vino was, you know, kind of wanted to see how Hart would perform after coming off of a sloppy finish um, to the Bruins in, in the previous game. I think you're probably definitely going to see Brian Elliott in the next game. I would imagine. Um, and, and to me, that, might shake Hart's confidence a little bit, but you know, hopefully he can get back in and get a nice win his next outing. Um, but, but, but to your point, like, you know, you have, you have Elliot, he comes in, he, he gets a shutout. He's good. He's probably the best backup in the league, if not one of them. Um, so, so, you know, it's kind of like having Nick Foles come in, you know, on your team. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's a good position to have, to have this backup and, and in hockey, I agree with that point. You got to utilize him more. It's not like you're throwing Todd Pratt in there, you know. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> wow. you know he's he's a big not, nothing against Todd Pratt. Sorry, um, but 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 uh, but um, uh, I, I guess I should have said Andrew Knapp because he's not the best backup either. Um, but 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 um, but yeah, I agree with your points. Like like you know, they need to utilize him more and and give Hart some days off because it is going to be a, a fast tiring season. And, um, and, 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 you know, I don't mind this week trying it out, trying to see if you can get his confidence back right away. But I think moving forward, you got to stick to like a two games off, one game off kind of ratio. Um, because they are going to get fatigued fast, especially playing the same team twice in a row, like you said. Um, but yeah, hopefully they can turn around this week. You you know, um, they, they, you know, their schedule is always going to be kind of difficult. They got the Devils this week and then the Islanders over the next weekend. Um, so hopefully they can, they can be, you know, get the best of the Devils. I would assume I'd hope. Um, but um, look, this, this, these two back-to-back games, I mean, um, these series games are really hard because if you start struggling against the team, like the Bruins or like the Islanders, if you lose two of those, you're going to find yourself under 500 very quickly and like very struggling to keep up at that 500 pace. Um, and you know, because <laughs> after the Devils this this week, you got the Islanders, the Bruins again, the Capitals. So that's six games in a row that are going to be very difficult. So you know, they they got to turn it around quick. Like I said, um, I don't think that I'm not saying they can't do it, but um, you know, we're they're going to get tested this week because I think they got to come out and beat both their games against the Devils, and it's not going to be an easy thing to do. Um, but. Uh, moving on from them, unless you got any final thoughts on the fly, guys? I would just say one thing I want to see improved this week, especially yesterday, uh, from where we're recording Sunday, so from Saturday's loss to the Bruins, 
and this is some dating back to last year too. I won't go too much onto it. I'll just do it quick. It's, it's power play. I felt like again we saw it last year, but their power play so far this year has not been the best, and I think that's something we need to take advantage of more often. Yeah, I I think you, I think you know you got a good point, and it's kind of been the the crutch of the Flyers forever is the power play, um, and and it, it's a shame because you know the first four games of the season the Flyers came out very hot on the power play. I think having a power play goal and three straight games or something like that. Um, so, so it's a shame to see it falter so much because they were given plenty of power play opportunities against the Bruins. That's for sure. And they just weren't able to utilize it. Like you said, um, I totally agree. Um, but moving on to the, uh, Philadelphia Phillies, I guess the biggest news is that there's still no news on, uh, JT Romito. And I don't think anything has changed. Is that correct? Andrew, Ab- like absolutely nothing. No rumors. In a way. Nothing like um, last we were on here, uh, JT was offered, uh, what was it, tw- uh, 100 mil for five years? Is that correct? Uh, I was over. It's the, it's believed to be just north of 110 for five years. I mean, I don't even know where the issue is. Like, cross the T's and dot the I's, my man. And it's time to, to get to down to training camp. I mean, this is, I mean, um, spring training. This is getting ridiculous. I said last week, it's no longer hashtag sign JT. It's hashtag JT sign. It's time for him to do the right thing and sign this contract. I don't know what else is he, he's expecting. Yeah, so real quick, two things before I touch on that comment. Um, is first, it becomes more likely in this past week that JT will be with the Phillies. Um, I was on here last week saying a lot of rumors between the Phillies and Blue Jays. Well, the Toronto Blue Jays went out and got George Springer this past week on a, I think it was a seven-year, like 180, a huge contract nonetheless. And that basically should, you would think, kind of put them out of the running for JT. Uh, so Phillies would be a big suitor now, obviously. And there is speculation that the Braves are now suitors for him. But apparently that might just be speculation from their agent trying to get more money from a rival, which we've seen in the past is what I was told by multiple people. Because uh, I saw the, the tweet originally. I was like, oh, that's not good if the Braves are in on them. But then someone told me that. And then second, lastly, to your comment, yeah, I think, listen, a year ago we were sitting here with a bad front office, bad GM, bad uh, president and everything. A year, a year, a year. Let's go back into the future. Go back to today. We have Dave Dombrowski. We have Sam Fold as GM, and then obviously still Joe Girardi. A year ago, we were sitting here. Not even a year ago. A few months ago, we were sitting here saying, "Oh, the Phillies don't want to sign him. The Phillies don't want to do this. They're not even contacting me." At JT had press conferences after the game saying they haven't even started the negotiation process. Well, you'll get the events that have occurred in the last two weeks. Sam Fold and Dave Dombrowski, what do they do? They flew down to JT's house in Oklahoma to meet with him, uh, to meet with JT and his wife to go over the contract deals. Things reportedly go extremely well and all that. A day later, you have this contract offer. Uh, The exact details haven't been out, but like Nick said, it's supposed to be just north of 110 over five years. You do the math, that's at least $22 a year. That puts them at... uh, Tied for the highest paid catcher to date uh, per year-wise, per AAV. So I think that's obviously a good deal in itself right there. Um, so I think I, I'm kind of on board with it. At this point, uh, 
I mean, obviously, it's fun to say sign JT and everything, but to a point, you got to look at the front office and say they can only do so much. They flew again. They flew down to his house. They have offered him a deal that makes him tied for the highest paid catcher in the league. And again, five years puts for a catcher. Like we gotta remember that. Like five years for a thirty-year-old, it'll be thirty-five at the back end. That's pretty good for a catcher still. Uh, I mean, that's a good deal for a catcher to have that longevity and know he's getting that contract. So at some point, it's like, what else can the management do? Uh, so I think it's now in JT's hands, honestly. Uh, I don't know. Maybe is it the one million that he wants to make him the actually highest paid catcher and not tied? Uh, is it a signing bonus he wants that he wants with that deal? I, I mean, we don't really know. We obviously aren't in the room negotiating. But, again, at some point, as fans, as a front office, it's like, what else can you do? You flew down to his house. You offered him a huge deal. Uh, I understand I understand the past relationship wasn't great, obviously, with the GM, president, and everything. But here's the deal. They fixed that as well. So, I, I mean, at some point, you got to say, okay, it's in JT's hands, and I think I'm ready to say for right now at least, unless if we get a report that say those reports, previous reports are false. But I think it's in JT's hands now, and I would have thought it would got done by this week, honestly. I thought when we did last week's show, I thought we were going to be on here talking about JT back with the Phillies officially, but I think we're going to have to wait for a little bit longer. But I think in the next week or two, the deal will finally get done as spring training rapidly approaches. Hashtag JT sign. I'm telling you, you heard it here. Um, so this brings up, you know, I, I, I read an interesting article this week on philliesnation.com. And um, it's kind of how much money do the Phillies need to spend is the is the article's title. And, and, and look, if this reports to two, let's say, you know, everything goes according to plan, JT Remuda signs. So you're paying him, I believe you said t- around $22 million this year, right? $22 million a year. Yes. So you're paying Bryce Harper $27 million this year. You're paying JT $22 million this year. You're paying Zach Wheeler $22 million this year. Andrew McCutcheon $20 million this year. Gene Segura $15 million this year. Aaron Nola $12 million. Archie Bradley $6. You know, the point is there's a lot of money invested in these players. And, you know, I agree. Like, how much money do these do the Phillies need to spend? And, like, do you think that they're utilizing their money um, – in the proper way. Like, you know, this is a lot of money to put into certain guys like Andrew McCutcheon, $20 million, you know, Gene Segura, $15 million. You know, obviously I, I I'm in favor of this offense and, and I think that they were fantastic last year. And I think it was the pitching work that faltered, but um, yeah, like do you, do you, do you believe that this is the right way to utilize this money? And at the end of the game day, you know, I, I could care less. It's not my money. Uh, to me, like spend thirty million on every player. As long as you put the lineup on that there, they can win the World <laughs> Series. But um, if you're going to spend all this money, you know, do you believe that they're spending it in the right places? Uh yes and no. Um, and the reason I say that is obviously Bryce Harper. We all love Harper a great deal. Zach Wheeler, arguably uh, one of your best pitchers, uh, as he was toe to toe with Nola last year. So obviously that goes to show how well he is. Um, I understand Aaron Nola is young, but I mean, you look at Zach. I mean, Nick, who would you say is better, Wheeler or Nola? I think it's close, but it's close. My I'd point probably is Nola, right? I mean, I yeah. So I'd slightly go, Nola, and Nola's out here getting eleven million less than right. Zach Wheeler. Right. Um, Gene Segura, you were tied up with that contract when you traded for him, so you kind of knew what you were getting yourself into there. Uh, they didn't actually do that deal. 
but people have been disappointed with Segura. I think the one that sticks out to me, and I like McCutcheon, and obviously it's hard to say when he's coming off that in, uh, ACL injury last year, and, and we'll see what he does this year, but it'll be 34, 35 going into the year. And obviously, that's a lot of money uh, for a guy uh, coming off the injury, $20 million. So I got no issues with it. I think, listen, Harper, we obviously love that deal. When we signed McCutcheon, we all loved the deal. It's just unfortunate he got bit by the injury bug. Zach Wheeler, we're obviously desperate for the starter, starting pitcher. So we overpay for him, maybe a little bit, but it was necessary. Um Aaron Ole, you're getting pretty cheap. I mean, for as good as he is, only paying him uh, probably just shy of twelve mil. Or yeah, getting twelve million. And you're getting you're paying Nola twelve million. Like that's a steal in my eyes. Archie Bradley, think about it. if he puts up 162 uh, through 162 game season, the numbers he put up last year, and obviously you probably have a, a little higher ERA in a full season. But if you're going to get that for only six million, that's going to be a steal in itself. I think again, it's not. So I would say the money is being spent. They're just not at, like the relievers have been been pretty much the really the pitching has been the biggest issue and they haven't been putting the money towards it in the last couple of years. And these last two off seasons, you've seen it a little bit. And I think that we are signing 22 million obviously was big. Bradley's not 20 million or, or top close in the league, but he's a fantastic closer. Uh, and he's only 28. So you'll have him there. And I, after that, it's kind of weird. Cause it sounds like a lot because all these guys are the top. It's top heavy, but I don't think we're that high in the uh, MLB payroll because the other guys you went on got this year. I mean, Jose Alvarado, he's only getting a million this year through arbitration. So these are all guys you might have to pay in the next coming years or so. But uh, overall, I'd say it's well spent. They're just not. It's not spending enough, and I know it's easy to say when you're not the one spending the money. But when you're a high market team like the Phillies, and you've always spent that money. Then you like that. That's why we're gonna sit here and say that. So you you gotta put the money towards pitching, and that's that's the area they have to do. Like they they clearly have put it to the offense now, and now it's transition that to the pitching. Um, I'm okay with putting a little more to the offense than the pitching, but you gotta have some type of balance, and that's where the issue is with the Phillies is they've had no balance recently. Totally agree. Yeah, I think I think uh, that like you said, they're top heavy on the offense, and and it's. It showed because, you know, now they got to play catch up with finding guys, um, you know, to, to fill the pen, but still, you know, spend a re- the correct amount of money to do that. So, um, you know, you're saving with guys like Sir Anthony Dominguez and David Hale and, you know, those guys who are making under a mil this year. Um, and I think, you know, that's part of the play in the game, like you said. And, and, and I don't know where the Phillies off the top of my head stand in the league, but if you're saying they're not even – in the top anymore like they were you know i i, I think then they're doing the best they can you know if anything but you know i, I take these kind of articles with a grain of salt because at the end of the day i don't care how much money they spend you know i just want to see them win <laughs> so well yeah i mean if, prime if, example if we're out here like oakland or you don't have a high payroll but they're out here winning division or yeah winning the division last season getting to the playoffs every year i mean that's a different story um and, and look but, Look, look, you know, I think, uh, you know, for those who are unfamiliar, this is very much the Dave Zombrowski way, too. Like, like, um, you know, he comes up to Boston um, a few years ago, spends, I can't tell you how many millions of dollars, you know, uh, highest paid team in baseball. Uh, they're over the, the, the tax, you know, they win the World Series, right? And then the whole, the whole entire thing implodes afterwards, but... 
but look, that's in my opinion, you know, if you get a World Series out of it, it's worth it, you know. And I and that might be up for debate. I'd rather see him win a World Series next year and then stink for the next five years again. But 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 that's my opinion. I I, I don't know. To me, you play to win the World Series. If you gotta spend all the money now to win the World Series next year, and then you're not gonna be the best the next following years. I'd take that. So I'm okay yeah, with the and, money being spent, in my opinion. <laughs> and here's the thing I, I, I have it right here. For MLB standpoint, I guess this could, will change once JT's signed. But uh, Phillies are currently 12th in payroll in the MLB and third in the division. Um, there's the obvious ones that don't surprise me Dodgers, Yankees, Astros with their recency. Um, Red Sox don't surprise me. And then Cubs a little bit surprise me, but not a whole lot. The ones that really get me are the Rockies have a higher payroll right now. Uh, the San Francisco Giants. That's surprising with all the young guys. Yeah. Um, this one, again, maybe not because of recency with their big signing of Machado and everything, but the Padres are sixth. Um, and then the Angels, for as bad as they are, they're fourth. Uh, do they still have pool hosts on that payroll? I'm sure. Yeah, you 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 think ready oh, for this? Gosh. Ready for this top heavy? Um, to kind of close out here, Mike Trout thirty five and a half million, oh Albert Pujols thirty million, oh. Anthony Rendon twenty seven and a half, Justin Upton twenty three million. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So, so that- <laughs> compared to that, I mean, we're in great. We're doing great. Um. And then the Mets, obviously, were big spenders this offseason, so they're up to third in the MLB and payroll. So that's your biggest competition there in the division, with the Nationals at seventh. This one surprised me. For as good as the Braves have been, the Braves are down at 15. Talk about money well spent and yeah. finding guys. Um, people they view Braves. a young team, though. Like they, yeah. they, I would assume most of those players are still on their original deals. Yeah, they, they are. And people view Braves as maybe a frontrunner to give the Dodgers a run this year. So we'll see what happens in that sense. And... Let's say JT does 22 a year. That will jump the Phillies to from uh, that'll jump the Phillies from 12th in payroll all the way up to eighth. So, so let me ask you this: If uh, it, whether or not we sign, this is my final question. I don't know if you have any other final points, but um, whether or not the Phillies sign JT, do you believe DD is coming back or is he gone? When we came into the offseason, I thought he was gone. But at this point, when you're you're three weeks away from spring training, and I have not heard a word about him, honestly, outside the Phillies. Like, I have heard no speculation of where he might go. I've heard no contract offers. I think at some point, you might be looking at another one-year deal with DD this year, honestly. Because, um, listen, the, the team doesn't seem highly involved for Gene Segura. They seem like that's a flaw right now, which, you know, I'm a Segura guy, but if they don't like him, I mean, there's upgrades. So the, the shortstop market right now is still very high. It might be the best depth position, like amount of guys out there still positional wise. So uh, listen, I'd say, yeah, at this point in the off season and where the uh, it's unfortunate for players, but I guess because of the virus, where the market's kind of gone this off season. I think you absolutely could honestly be looking at a Phillies reunion with DD, whether they sign JT or not. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm all in on it. You know, he he's coming off a great season. You know, he hit 284. Um, you know, he, I 
you know, the year before that, he hit 238. So you saw a big improvement in his game. The year before that, he hit 268. So uh, the last time he hit 284 was uh, three years ago um, with the Yankees. So, you know, I think he had a good year. He's only 31. Um, so I think he's got, you know, plenty of more decent years left of baseball left. So I would expect him to hit like 270 range again this year, uh, maybe 260 because a full season will bring it down some. But I think you take that in a shortstop and and, and, and he'd be worth it. I totally agree. Um, I hope they, I hope they, I hope they resign because I liked having him on the team last year. And I think he only adds to your offense. So if you can get him on a, uh, on a on a cheap deal or whatever, or I don't care on an expensive deal, and you just bring him back anyway. I mean, in my opinion, <laughs> just bring him bring him in because um, you know I, I I'm not 100. I I love Scott Kingery, but who knows what he's going to be? And I think Didi's probably the better option in your lineup, batting wise. And you know, uh, you know, I think uh, th- that'd be best for the team. But any final thoughts on the Phils before we close it out? No, not really. Hopefully next week we're talking about a JT signing or somebody else at least because there are still obviously a couple holes with this team. But I'm excited with the direction. Uh, Dombrowski's already started to go. He's brought in relievers and stuff. So uh, I'm excited. I'm just ready for baseball to be back, honestly. That's my final thought is I'm ready to watch baseball. And, well, I said now we still got to sit through a, a month and a half of spring training. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's currently 18 degrees where I live, so it doesn't feel like it's at baseball anytime <laughs> soon. So, uh, so I'm ready for baseball to be back as well. I know, uh, uh, I know, baseball is just. I think it's like 10 days 10 days away here before our the school I work at's back in action. Yeah, back back <laughs> when I when I was working at Penn State uh, with their baseball team, I think like like 40 percent of the games would get canceled out because it's so <laughs> right. cold and raining <laughs> so so uh, it's probably not nicer uh to start an early baseball season down in oklahoma so <laughs> i was uh, a little bit <laughs> uh, but all right i think that's gonna wrap it up for us here at philly sports now if you want to uh check out more and follow uh you know keep, stay up to date on all things philly sports you can follow us on twitter at philly underscore s-p-r-t-s um and, uh, and yeah, uh, stay up to tune on all things there. We'll, we'll post our podcast, uh, any kind of rumors, trade rumors, uh, signings. You know, will JT sign this week? Will Carson Wentz break his silence? Are the Flyers going to bounce back? And will we get more success out of the Sixers? Hopefully um, all these those things end up in <laughs> positive favor for us. That's but not too much to ask for, right? <laughs> yeah, that's not too much to ask for. Uh, but we'll uh, – you know, we'll, we'll check back in with you guys uh, next week. Uh, and, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. And I uh, hope everybody has an awesome week.